desire that uh, God could richly, richly bless each one here this morning. He could speak into our lives the needs that are there. I think uh, I trust I'm speaking to a group of people that desire to seek God, want to know him, understand his workings. And in one sense, you know, that's uh, the greatness of God is far beyond our comprehension. On the other side, we have God wanting to relate to us and to have a relationship that uh, can be close. And so this morning, uh, I'm not sure just what all was involved with this, but my mind kept going back to the same thing, and I'd like for us to turn to a text this morning in Malachi, the third chapter. The last, last book of the Old Testament. And maybe before we go into the text, just a little bit of, uh, of history here, Malachi. We're looking, it's the last book we have arranged in our Old Testament. It's also the last of the prophets. Unique in that the only one, the only prophet that we have recorded speaking in this era the time frame I have here is about uh, just around 400 years before Christ. And before that, it was like almost 500 years that any of the prophets had spoken. Uh, Nehemiah comes in between there. He might have the, the last, or close to the last chapter of Nehemiah comes maybe about 50 years before this. So that's just the, the time frame uh, before that, we have Haggai and Zechariah, and that was, like I said, about close to 100 years before uh, Malachi. So Malachi is of the minor prophets. I really enjoy this book, and there's a lot in it. Uh, and the, the, the focus this morning is on the first verses of the uh, third chapter. I'll be looking at uh, the first six verses, and especially... Uh, verses 2 and 3. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? And he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. And I will... Come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that turn aside the strangers from his right. And fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed." 
So here we have maybe a little different Christmas message. We have the appearing of Christ and his, uh, his ministry, his coming. And uh, it's not maybe real often we find this aspect of the nature of the ministry of Christ that we're looking at this morning. The, the messenger of the covenant has to be Christ. He's coming, and, and, and there's, there's so much uh, um, uh, looking forward to, so much aspiring to, to his coming. And, and uh, the very clear message of what his coming was, would be like. In verse 2, we have this question. But who may abide the day of his coming? Who will be able to stand? Who will be able to put up with what his ministry is actually all about. And it, it can look quite different than the glamorous Christmas scenes that are around the country uh, over this time. It, it, uh, his work is a, is a refining work. And that's what we want to be looking at this morning, that the ministry of Christ as, as a refining. And I think that ministry was not just for the time that he walked in this earth, but he, he is still, that is still his ministry, and that's a focus this morning on Christ. So we have uh, a refining, uh, we understand, uh, we might think that you go into the mountain, you find it's just this pure, beautiful metal with silver or gold, and it's just there, ready to use and make uh, uh whatever they use gold and silver for vessels and, and jewelry and etc. But it's not the case usually. Usually when you they, uh, mine this stuff out of the earth, it's got a whole lot of dirt, other things with it. And, and the way to deal with it, to get it to where it's uh, useful, where it's pure, where it's of great value is you stick it in, in this fire and you just get this um, this big cauldron or whatever and you just get extreme heat under there and I'd like for us to picture this morning this big cauldron and it, it, it's there's a lot of fire underneath and then the contents are boiling and it's just boiling and boiling and and as it's boiling the 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 dross the dross is the stuff we don't want it's the scum it's the the, the impurities that that need to be gotten gotten rid of be dealt with and so in this case, uh, we have Jesus being pictured as the one that's sitting there. The one that the sitting has the idea of this is a process that's not going to happen in a couple minutes. This is a process of time. And there's a lot of heat there. And, and, and there's this boiling. There's, there's a lot of uh, trauma going on inside this pot. And there's stuff coming to the top, and then there's a ladle, and you're going, uh, there's, there's a refiner, he's going, and he's just skimming this stuff off that he doesn't want, this scum. And he keeps on, and he keeps the heat up there, he keeps the, the fire hot, and uh, he's not satisfied until he can look into that pot, and, and it's, it's the, the, the finished product is when he sees his own reflection in that boiling pot. His own reflection is clearly seen because there's no more of this foam, this scum. It, it's all been dealt with, and now we have the pure contents in the pot, and that's, that's what he's after. And as we look into the text here, we see that 
He's not talking about gold. He's not talking about silver. He's talking about the sons of Levi. And this morning, I would like to say we are the sons of Levi. We, were, we are the children of God. We are the ones that are in the pot. And that, that might be a little bit of an unpleasant thought for us here this morning that there's this, this trauma going on and there's this, this boiling and there's this heat and, and it, this heat is not really pleasant. But it's what is needed to get the job done. And that it's, it's, it is me, it is you that's in this, in this pot. And then the, the raw product that as we come to Christ, the raw product does, does need some refining, does it not? And I think there's no one, there's no being that understands that better than our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no one that probably cares more about the purity of the church of Jesus Christ than Jesus himself. And there's no one that is more capable of knowing what it will take to get that refining done than the Lord Jesus himself. And so this morning, we have this concept of Jesus and that even though the process is difficult and it can be painful, but the, the end result is really what we're all after, isn't it? And it, if we have the, the mind of Christ, if, if we have the understanding of, of Christ, then, then our concept, we'll come back to that a little later, is uh, just turn on the heat and, and do what needs to be done because I want to be pure before the Lord. And it, are, are we comfortable to do that this morning? And then it goes on to say here that talks about an offering. In verse 3, the latter part of verse 3, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. In verse 4, then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. So my understanding of this here this morning is that if, if we're here this morning and we want to serve the Lord, we, we want to be useful, we want to be instruments in his hands, we want, we want to be at a place where God can use our lives. And I do believe that every one of us have had this experience and, and need to further have this experience that that usefulness can be greatly hindered. That usefulness, there can be a handicap because there are impurities, because there are, uh, there's some dross in our lives. There's, there's some things that could be in our lives that are hindering that, that what we have to offer. And it's morning, I'm not talking about the money we pull out of our wallets and stick in the offering plate as much as, as our lives being living sacrifices for the Lord. And, and that living sacrifice can only be as useful as we are pure, as we are holy before the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever impurities that exist in our life are definitely going to stand in the way that, that uh, the ministry that Christ would have us to do would be, would be hindered. So did you have some dross in your life this morning? And that's a question that I cannot answer for you. And that's, not a, that's a question that I should not be answering. 
And we should not be looking at the people sitting beside, or beside us or in front of us or behind us and think, yeah, there's, there's a lot of refining needs to take place here. That, that's not the focus. The focus is on each one of us individually for ourselves. <clears throat> Do we have our lives, what we have to offer to God of the purest quality? Or would there be some things that would stand in the way that that offering would be hindered? And we think that uh, people like to be giving at Christmas time. But what, what can we give to Jesus this morning? And the only thing that I would suggest we can give is, is a life that's purified, a life that is, it has the dross taken care of. And in reality, I think there, there is uh, the raw materials that, that God has to work with. Uh, there, there's a lot of impurities in it. And this morning... We want to maybe look a little bit at what, what does that dross, what does that impurity look like? And I hesitate to talk about this, this part of it a little bit because it, it's, sometimes we like to put things in a neat little box. So this, this is what dross is. And uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, God maybe can, can see it in a much, much clearer way. But I think I can safely say that if there's any areas of selfishness, if there's areas where I put my self-interest and my comforts and my personal desires ahead of, of what God wants, what his purpose and his will is, that's going to be dross. That's going to be something that's going to stand in the way. And that's something that's going to hinder the testimony of, testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. Another thing that comes to mind is an unbridled tongue. Things that come out of our mouth that we say that shouldn't be said, that can hinder. Uh, a quick temper that uh, maybe words come out before we give them thought of, of whether they are or what they should be. And, and I've heard people say already, well, I don't understand it. It's really not me. I don't understand what why that happened, why those words actually came out. Well, I would say the reason they came out is because they were in there. Well, what's in there is going to be coming out. And so if, if things come out that we realize aren't quite what they should be, it's, it's just a revelation of what's actually down in here. And so that, that's, uh, that would be dross, I would think. That would be things that, impurities that would would keep the, the offering to be pure as it is meant to be. And of course, we are all, uh, to put it bluntly, we're sexual beings, and, and that has gotten many people in trouble oftentimes. So if we have impure thoughts, we have impure desires, we have desires for, for things we know that are not right in our moral life, uh, that is dross, and, and when that dross is there, and I think of, of King David, when, when he saw Bathsheba there and he made the choices that he did, I don't think that was something that happened just at the moment. There, I think there was probably some dross in King David's life that when that opportunity presented itself, he was ready to jump for it. And, and I think whenever people fall in an immoral way, in that, in that kind of way, it, it's because there's, there's dross there 
that shouldn't have been there or that should have been dealt with. And then there's uh, worldly pursuits. And it, this in the society we live in, it, it's really hard to sort through some of this. Uh, but the desire to become like the society around us, to, to uh, be acculturated into uh, modern ungodly lifestyle. And there's a pool, there's a draw for that. And along with that, the pursuits of wealth. And I don't know if any of you have had access to Noah Webster, I'm not talking about uh, what we have today, but the original Noah Webster dictionary goes back to 18, I'm not sure, 18, mid 1800s when, when Noah Webster first made his, his dictionary. And you look up uh, the definition of worldliness. And I, there's a couple other smaller definitions, but the, the clearest thing that comes out in worldliness from Noah Webster's perspective back in his day was that of material wealth, was that of, of earthly wealth. And, uh, of course, we, we look at earthly wealth as, as being uh, something that's... Uh, Amoral or not here nor there, and it, it should be if it if if we have wealth and it's all consecrated to God, then it is that. But the the dross that I'm talking about this morning is maybe loving money, and maybe it has has our heart has grabbed our hearts in a way that it's hindering us to serve God as we should. And I, I think in the day and age we live in, especially in North America, uh, that. That can be some serious dross that we we have uh, we have to deal with if if the offering to the Lord is is going to be pure. There's a lure for power, for uh, personal ambition and fame, wanting wanting to be somebody, to be something. Uh, when we want to be somebody, when we want to have power, we want to have uh, success in a worldly way. Uh, the reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ is, is going to be pretty dim, I think. The, the, the concept of, of this dross that's completely removed to where the purity is in such a way that it, it's a, a mirror of, of the, uh, the refiner, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we're looking at with the refiner's fire is that of the Lord understanding our lives perfectly and bringing things into our life to deal with the dross. And some of us, I think of myself, we can be slow learners. And maybe there's some dross that was here 20 years ago and the Lord brought some things into my life that was to deal with that dross and I just didn't catch on. And so the refiner fire is still going on and still going on because the dross is still there. Once that dross can be dealt with, and then maybe we can go on to another stage of, of refining. But if, if, uh, if you get this big heap of dirt out of the mountain and there's a little bit of gold in it, and you're working for years and it's still mostly dirt and there's just a little bit of gold in it, uh, after a while it's, it can be a fruitless thing. Uh, I think those that work with gold want to find the quickest and the uh, most efficient way to get rid of all the stuff that they don't want that they have the pure gold 
to, to put it to, to use. So what is a refiner's fire? And the same as what the dross looks like, what the refiner's fire looks like is probably pretty hard to uh, just say exactly this is it. But one thing I wanted to, to make clear this morning, and that is we have here in verse 5, it talks about judgment. And I, I know that the ungodly, they have lots of unpleasant things in their lives. And some of them simply are uh, the fruits of, of their ungodly living. Uh, if you are living ungodly life and you just love to consume alcohol and you're driving down the road at 130 miles an hour and you have this terrible accident, uh, it's obvious why that calamity came into that person's life. And the judgment of God is severe. The judgment of God is... is we're, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. What, what I'm talking about, the refiner's fire is the people that love the Lord and want to serve him. And there's difficulties come in our lives. It's because God has a purpose. And if we look at the, uh, the first chapter of Malachi, I just wanted to look at that a little bit. The first verses of the first chapter... Say the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob. And I hated Esau, and I laid his mountain and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom, or Esau, saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build a desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. Now you could say that God's unjust, that he hated Esau. But I say that God brought condemnation into the life of Esau and his descendants because of the choices that he made that were wrong. And that's why Jacob was the, the chosen lineage for God and Esau was rejected because he chose to reject the, the ways of God and God chose to reject Esau. And that's why God hated Esau. And the judgment and, and the, the calamities that were in the Edomites, which were the descendants of Esau, was a result of the choices that they made. And there's a lot of calamity out there in the world of people that are not seeking to serve God and, and, and there's a lot of suffering going on because of sin. And so I wanted to make sure that we understand that when we're, when we're suffering, there's a different end in, 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 in focus. The end of the ungodly is going to be an eternity in, in hell forever. The end that God has for his people is to purify them where he can walk closer to them and use them in a way that they can uh, be a blessing to uh, both to the kingdom of God and, and to society around them. And it's the impurities that often cause the uh, ungodly to blaspheme because they know what the godly should be living like. But we thank God that he wants to bring the refining fire into our lives, and he does. And it's actually a positive thing. It's not, a, it can feel like, and it seems like sometimes, and that's why I wanted, 
when I started out, I, I wanted us to understand the workings of God. And sometimes there are, are people that are in the refining fire and, and they, they feel like God doesn't love them. And it feels like uh, life is difficult and, and there's decisions we have to make and we'll get to that in a little bit. So I would think that uh, the refining fire would be the unpleasant things that we have to face in life. And that, that can be a broad range of things and that, that can just maybe in a broad sense uh, mention some. Uh, one of the, the more difficult verses for me to work through is Hebrews 5, 8, and I'm not going to have you turn to that, but it says, though he were a son, yet learned he the obedience by the things which he suffered. Talking about Jesus Christ. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Did Jesus have to learn obedience? Well, the scripture says he did. And there again, these are things that are greater than I am. I can't really explain them real well. Uh, Jesus was born as a baby. He, he learned as a young child. He had to learn like uh, other young children did. Uh, so there was learning that had to take place. And Jesus never, that we understand, disobeyed God. And yet there, there was a refining, I think, that even in the life of Jesus. And there again, how can a perfect person need to be refined? I, 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 I can't explain that. But the scriptures clearly says that he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. As human beings, I myself am one, understand my tendencies, maybe don't understand them as well as I should. I think the humbler we are, the more we understand our humanity. It's, it, it's easy for us to stray. It's easy for us to to go the wrong direction. It's easy for us, even as, as ministers of the gospel, even as, as people that, that really desire to live holy lives, it's easy for us to become careless. It's easy for us to accumulate more dross rather than get rid of the dross that we have. I'm speaking for myself. And so there is a need. And God sees that need much better than we do. And, and we can easily, like I was saying, we can easily look at what someone else is going through and say, yeah, he, he, needed some, he, he needed some refining done and that's why this is happening. And this morning I would like for us not to go there. If, if, if there's, there's things in my life that are going on, there's, there's, there's some troubling things, there's, there's things that uh, are difficult, I think it's for us to, to seek God and to find out Try to understand what, what his workings are in our lives, but not in a judgmental way. Look at this person, say, oh, yeah, he's, he's getting some, some draws taken care of, and he needs that. I, I don't think that's how the Lord would have us relate to this topic. It's a personal thing. And God, throughout the history of the church, has or even before that, we think of the Old Testament. You read the book of Judges. Time and time again, they have a, a neighboring and a nation come in there and they're brought into bondage. 
and they're there serving and they're, they're suffering. And, and after that, they realize what's going on, they turn back to God and, and, and the, uh, the oppressing nation is dealt with. And then after a number of years, they go back in the same cycle over and over. And I think if we read the history of the, the Church of Jesus Christ, you'll find some of the same. That's just the way we are. And it shouldn't need to be, maybe, but that is our tendencies. And how quickly and how easily we can stray away from the, the pure church that the Lord Jesus Christ wants. There is a, a few verses that uh, maybe I will turn to and you can if you want there in, in Isaiah 48. It's going to read the first four verses first, and I wanted to jump over to verse 10. Isaiah 48:1. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. For they call themselves of the holy city, and stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed you, I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. Because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is as iron sinew, and thy brow brass. And it goes on talking about that, how they quickly turn over to idols. And so he's talking to people that are professing followers of God. And that's us this morning. And that we think that maybe we're, we're just some, some great people that are, are following God in, in the most perfect way. And God could see it completely different. The people that have strayed pretty far from where he wants them to be. And then going down to verse 10. Maybe I'll read verses 9 and 10. For my name's sake will I defer mine anger. This is God speaking. For, and for my praise I will refrain for thee that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. But I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. So this is God's way. And maybe, probably it wouldn't be incorrect to say maybe this is the only way that God can deal with, deal with us human beings. He, he really doesn't have but a whole lot of other resources. And I know God is, is, is uh, infinite in his resources, but when it comes to his dealing with humanity, when when humanity strays away from his, his plan and his will, his resource is the furnace of affliction. His resource is to bring things into our lives that, that create refining. And it, it's hard for us to sort through completely. We, we read of the times, like if you read Martyr's Mirror, and you read uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and, and you read of... Uh, like the uh, Voice of the Martyrs, which is more present day, what some of God's people have had to suffer uh, in times past. Tremendous suffering. And some of that maybe wasn't necessarily the furnace of affliction to bring people back. Some of it was just 
because as Jesus said, uh, if they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. And we had that in our Sunday school this morning. If, if, if uh, we're in a world where there's a, there's a war going on, there's conflict, and so we don't always maybe understand all the suffering. But God has also allowed great suffering for his people, opposition, persecution, whatever, hardships, because he knows that's what it takes to keep his people close to himself. And when there is not that, and that history has proven that over and over, when, when there is uh, relative uh, lack of, of that opposition, where there's lots of freedom and lots of prosperity, and people, in a general way, have turned further away from God. You, you have that of the, the Dutch Mennonites, if you read a little bit of the history back in the, you know, in, in the 1500s, the 1600s, tremendous persecution, the 1700s come around, and in, in, the, in the German and Swiss side of things, there was still a lot of persecution but in the Dutch Mennonites, they were wealthy, they were shipbuilders, and there was tremendous wealth. And they used a lot of that wealth for, for the kingdom of God. A lot of uh, the German, uh, Swiss German Mennonites actually received financial aid to, to uh, migrate to the United States uh, through the help of the, the resources that the uh, Dutch Mennonites had. But what is of the Mennonite church today in Holland, I think there is that. And I also met uh, one time a Mennonite from Germany. But what they stood for and what they believed back in the day uh, and what they stand for and believe today has it's changed a lot. There's a, what I would call a lot of worldliness. And, and that's a tendency. And so God has ways in his love to, to draw his people to himself. And it's not always things that are pleasant for us. So what does a refiner's fire look like? Financial hardships, personal loss, sicknesses, death, deaths in the family, um, terminal illnesses. There's, there's uh, also relationship struggles sometimes in church bodies. I think some of that can be refining fire, so oftentimes there is. And those are difficult things. Waywardness in someone you love, uh, parents that have wayward children, and, and maybe uh, waywardness in, in siblings. These are things that, that are difficult for us. Natural disasters come. And here again, we can't put God in a box and say this is what God is doing, but the, the encouragement this morning is as we face difficult things, as we face things that are unpleasant to us, that we can, uh, before God, open ourselves up to understand his workings in our lives and, and to be, be receiving of that, be accepting of that. I have this quote, I'm not sure where it originally came from. It says, there is a kind of failure that is better than success. And we are successful and the things we pursue, oftentimes we become careless with our seeking with God. But when we face very difficult things, it's often when we can feel closest to God. 
So there's, there's another aspect of this I want to talk about a little bit, and we have that in Hebrews 12. I want to turn there just in a little bit, but God corrects his own. God, as, as a loving father, earthly father, wants the best for his children, and it's not easy to take that little child across the knee and, and, and bring that, uh, that paddle down on them. But we're doing it because we have, we have an end in mind. We, we, we have a purpose. And we know that if we do this in the Lord's way, there's going to be great blessing come out of it. And that's, that's how God relates to us also. That the concept of refining and the concept of discipline, it's a little hard for me to sort out because they both have kind of the same purpose. I think of the Apostle Paul, when he was still Saul, he was on his way to Damascus, and he was a very cruel, cruelly persecuting the church of Jesus Christ, and that bright light came and knocked him down, and one of the first things that Jesus told Saul was, it's hard for thee to be kicking against the pricks. And I don't know just what the Lord's workings were in the life of Saul before this, but when I think of kicking against the pricks, it's okay. So we have this, these oxen, we're wanting to train them to do plowing and want them to work in it, where they can follow the commands, where they can um, plow a straight line and, and turn when they need to turn and stop when they need to turn, stop and all that. So they have what they call an ox goat. And, and so if, if this, this um, ox is being a little uh, obstinate, you just give them some jabs. Kicking against pricks would be, I guess, uh, that you'd be kicking back. So this ox, is you're trying to train him, and instead of him yielding to what the master wants, he's kicking back at the master. Can we be guilty of, of doing that? God is, is, is pricking our lives. He's, he's, he's trying to, he's speaking into something, and, and instead of responding and yielding and, and surrendering, we, we resist and we kick back in, in a in a spiritual sense, we uh, when there is uh, difficult things come in our life, we are faced with choices. And basically the choice is this. Are we going to accept it and praise God and bless God in it, or are we going to become bitter? And that has happened so often with people uh, Difficult things come and they start blaming God. This is God's fault that I'm having these problems. Or they start blaming God's people. They start blaming someone. And instead of yielding to the work that God has wanted to, to accomplish through this thing, they become bitter and they become hardened. Or the other thing is that we struggle with discouragement when things are not going well for us. And we become depressed. We think about throwing in the towel. This, this just isn't working. I'm done. I'm through with this. Instead of responding and allowing God to do the refining work, we, we resist it. And so when these things come in our life, either we're going to draw closer to God or we're going to move away. And the reality is that people have moved away sometimes. And people have lost out. That's not the purpose that God had to bring those things into our lives. So we know God is sovereign. And we know God could have, could have 
arrange things that this wouldn't have come into our life, this thing we're facing. But he allowed it. And we don't always understand why he allowed it. We have the book of Job and, and there was things going on behind the scene. But I do believe that Job came out refined in the end. He, he came out understanding God and, and worshiping God and serving God in a, in a much more, uh, a, a deeper and more committed way than before. So we have choices to, to make. Let's turn to, to Hebrews 12 and read a few verses there. I'm breaking in at verse 5 and, and uh, down to verse 13. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are all are partakers, and ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but for our profit, but we that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest they which are lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. And it talks about not allowing a root of bitterness that uh, many people are defiled by it. So I guess in closing here, I have these few questions. Can we, do we know God? Can we trust God, the goodness of God enough that we can even pray in this way, God, bring whatever refining, bring whatever chastening that you see necessary. That's what I want for my life. Uh, do we trust God enough that we can pray in that way? Do we really desire refining? Do we, do we want his loving correction in our life? These are rather serious questions. Uh, to be able to trust in God and believe that we can have a deeper and a better relationship and, and not resist, not be kicking against the pricks when these things come into our lives. I'd like to close now with Zechariah. I had mentioned Zechariah was one of the last prophets before Malachi. It was like 90 years before when this prophecy came. Zechariah 13 and verse 9. That's a book just before Malachi. Zechariah 13, 9. And I will bring, well, maybe I'll read verse 8 also. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and I will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. 
They shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. So this morning, we, we, I don't know what all is entailed in this prophecy here and how much of it's fulfilled and what is not. I don't understand those things real well. But it says that two-thirds will be cut off, and one-third will be saved, will be spared to be refined. And that refining is, is a trying thing. And the purpose that there is in this, the third part that is still to re remain is that they will call, that these people will call the Lord God and that God will call these people his people. We want to be God's people here this morning. So we, we um, allow Jesus as a refiner to sit and do the work that needs to be done. May the Lord bless.